case numbers. We're going to mix it up a little bit, break all kinds of formats this week, and give you a peep at a new narrative experience. It's called A Hit Dog Will Holla. And it comes to us from our friends at Radiotopia Presents. And that's all the preamble you get. In the Craig Elvon. Take it away. A Hit Dog Will Holler is written by me, Inda Craig Galvan. This is a series that is grounded in some of the harsh realities for Black people in America. There might be some moments that feel sad, or they might feel frightening, or just loud. Please take care while listening and after. This is Episode 1, The Roar. Let's do this. Start with the impeached. At his latest narcissistic nonsense rally, 45 asterisks literally told his audience that he tricked them last election, explained how he tricked them, and told them he plans to do it again. And they applauded. segue into voter suppression because that is the only way they'll get his orange ass back into office. He's not gonna harsh my mellow this day. Self-care. Self-care. Oh, look at that. Now this makes me feel good. These pictures of Barack and Michelle just frolicking. Frolicking, do you hear me? On a vacation, on a boat in Nevis and St. Kitts. Oh, my forever president. And Michelle, my play cousin, but she don't know it. Still out here showing up and showing out. Abs, legs, arms, ma'am. I'm not jealous. Why would I be jealous? Good for you, Barry. Good for you, play cousin. That's the audacity of hope right there. More like the negrosity of hope. Let me see, how many times have I used negrosity before? Ooh, that's a lot. I mean, it's cute, but damn, Gina. You are a wordsmith, dear. Don't be repetitive. How about, ooh, negrolicious? I like that. Hashtag negrolicious You're welcome, Black Twitter. Okay, should I talk about the shooting or save that for the next episode? Wow. 16 years old. God. By Sander Davis on his way back home from... All right. Let me get off Dion Warwick's internet and get in this recording booth. After I record this podcast real quick, I am binge watching something. I don't know. I'm in the mood for a comedy because this real life stuff is... Testing, testing. <clears throat> Ma, hmm. Take one, three, two, 
Accounts Receivable, the podcast where we keep record, keep accounts, and of course, keep receipts. It's your girl, Gina Gina. How are you feeling today, my people? My people. Do me a favor. Yes, the book's coming out soon. Highly requested. Most asked question on the website. We will get to all that later in this episode, I promise. But first, I want you all to do this with me, will you? I want you to close your eyes for a second and take a deep breath. And let it out. Let out today's headlines. Let out last year's nonsense. We thought we were past the Rona, and then up jumps the next variant showing its ass. And the next. But despite everything you and me, fam, we are still fighting the good fight. Activism can be exhausting. It can be dangerous, but it is necessary, amen? So fam, do what you've got to do to refill your own cup. Practice self-care, and remember to do what we just did. Remember to breathe. DJ Nice says, let it breathe. Let's do it again, yes? There we go. Now, because it don't stop, there was another shooting today. 16-year-old Vysander Davis was shot and killed by a police officer in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Not a lot of details for you right now, fam. But you know your girl Gina will be on Twitter with the updates as they come in and to let you know where we'll be marching. 16? Yeah, we'll be marching. To the family of young Vysander Davis, we are with you. Our hearts go out to you. But there is some good news this week. Folks in Virginia awoke to find the statue of some dead Confederate loser toppled and covered with graffiti. Was it the work of Drew C. Drew, the so-called Banksy of Black Lives Matter? All clandestine and shit. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Probably. I don't know who Drew C. Drew really is, but he chose violence this morning, and we love to see it. (laughs) Hashtag fuck your statues. Now, if we could only get the... What the hell? What the hell? That's it. You're all set. Seriously? Yep. You know, these walls don't look thin. I can't hear any street noise. I'm surprised you're having a problem, especially once you're inside this little booth. You must have real good ears. Yeah, I guess I do. Uh, look, thanks for getting out here so early. Oh, no worries. Uh, do you um, do you know somebody at the company? Mm-mm, I just went on Yelp. And the Better Business Bureau site. 
Sound Fighter Systems had the best reviews. Why? Oh, it's just... <laughs> my dispatcher texted me late last night, said it was an emergency to get here first thing in the morning, like, bump everything else on the schedule. <laughs> I figured you must have been one of Joe's friends or relatives or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I might have cussed your dispatcher out. And then bribed him. Girl, I might have offered to fuck him. I don't even remember exactly. I just needed somebody to get here ASAP. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, (laughs) Well, it's done. Uh, Hope you enjoy your day. You should be getting a survey. And please, be honest. I take pride in my work. No sounds are coming in there. You got my word. Thank you. Drew, right? Yes, ma'am. Oh, Jesus. Uh, No offense. Sorry. Just trying to be polite. All offense taken. Don't worry. I'll leave that off your survey. Uh, should I let myself out? Or? Uh, don't open the door. Just hold on, okay? Just, um, let me just, uh, hey, Constance. Let me call you right back. I'm at the shoe store trying on some good walking shoes for the rally. Gina, that's what I'm calling about. Your presence at the rally? Yeah, absolutely. So many interviews lined up. I hate that it has to happen, you know, like the country's where it is right now, but this rally and the book about to come out, the timing is... Gina, do you have in-person interviews lined up? Uh, Yeah, of course. I was just um, saying that I have uh, several... In-person. Constance, what are you... And you'll take photos in person. What are you... Absolutely, I always take photos in person. (laughs) Dave brought an issue to my attention... There seems to have been several stock photos on your website after the last march, and... Stock photos? <sighs> Gina. Why would you think I've been using... Dave? Dave Dwyer. He's my assistant. Yeah, no, no, I know who Dave... But I don't use... I mean, maybe what they call an establishing shot of, like, the building exterior. Constance, what are you trying to uh, I don't know, say I don't, or imply or... I just... just Want to be sure there's no, uh, no cause for concern. Publishers have been burnt before. Hell, even Oprah got all because an author, let's say, hasn't triple-checked their source material. Gina, I need to know that there's no cause for concern. There is no cause for concern. If you can just... Sorry. I have to... Uh, I gotta go. Um, yeah, I, sorry, I gotta go. Sorry. Uh, about that. Yeah. Um, look, I really need to get going. Oh, yeah, true. Sorry. Uh, of course. Wait, um, just hold on. I don't even know if this works. You know, what you did. Um, can you just open the front door and I'll go in the booth and see if I hear any outside noises? Uh, you got it. Uh, I'm sorry, ma'am? Gina. Call me Gina. What is it? Uh, that piano over there. I, I just, I, where did you get it? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, yard sale. A few years ago. It, it's purely decorative. I don't even know if it plays. But it's real cute, isn't it? That's all hand painted. Drew, you play, huh? Used to. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to overstep. Oh, no, it's fine. Glad to know it works. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So I'm going to go in the booth now. You want to leave? Yeah? But 
hold the front door open for like five seconds and I'll give you a thumbs up or down. Got it? Gotcha. Hold on, Drew. Uh, wait until I'm inside the booth. I can see you're inside. Can't hear you, though. And I know you can't hear me. That's how soundproofing works. Man, this lady's a trip. I need to get up out of here. Nothing but a quiet-ass street. Ma'am? Gina? Can you hear me? Can you hear anything? Gina, are you okay? I'm okay. I'm sorry. But whatever you did, it is not working. You need to fix it. I, I, I was just in there and I couldn't hear anything, so there's no noise outside. Nothing. Is that your I... booth? Is that your booth? Do you record podcasts in there? No. Then it doesn't matter if you could hear it. What matters is that I can still hear it. And I'm the customer. I will definitely yelp this. Do you have any idea how many followers I have? A bitch is verified. So you need to fix this. Okay. Of course, I'm going to fix it. I can uh, I can come back with our next density, a higher fiber, vinyl maybe, or metal, but that's going to... Yeah, I don't care how much it costs. No, I-, I was saying it'll have to be tomorrow. I have appointments scheduled for the rest of the day. We squoze you in, wow. so I... See, what you should have done, you should have brought the better quality insulation in the first place. Or or is this how you do? You throw up some shoddy material for one price, then prove it doesn't work, so the customer has to beg for a better density, or... (laughs) Ain't that some shit? Just go. Do you not want the... Of course I want it! Hell, bring bricks and mortar if you have to, but this needs to get done. Okay, Gina? Mm Mm-mm. Now you need to call me ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'll make sure our schedule calls you to set up some time for tomorrow. Yeah, and I need you to wait until I'm in the booth before you open the front door. Please. Mm-hmm. And do it quickly. Sure. <sighs> the hell is up with this chick? Ain't that nothing? Oh, Drew, honey. Yeah, that was first thing in the morning. Yep. Running, I don't even... Some people mm. just don't have any peace. I mean, maybe she... Don't. Ronnie, do not make excuses for her. That's what you do. Always extending yourself, literally and emotionally. For people who... Then on top of the emotional weightlifting you always taking on, we out here putting everything on the line for our community. 
You even more than me. Well, this lady doesn't know about any of that. She probably wouldn't make a difference if she did. Was it a nice place? Hmm. Real nice. Of <laughs> course it was. Embracing capitalism and treating the working class like garbage. Was she blind? Huh? Of course she isn't. She looked at another black woman standing right in front of her, looked, okay, looked you in the face, and chose to treat you like trash. Drew, that is not okay. Uh, I get it, but you done made me garbage and trash twice in the last minute. Damn, I'm sorry, girl. You know I love you. You know what you should do? Channel that pain, take that energy, and put it into this speech you gonna give tonight. How that sound? Like a manipulation. That's what that sounds like. Ronnie, I've told you. I'm not giving the speech. That's your thing. Girl, come on. Uh -uh. No. No. No, no, never. I write them, you say them. That's never changing. Here. It's gonna make me cry, isn't it? I mean, they killed a 16-year-old. When we not crying? Ronnie, you... You remember what you felt when we were 16? What you worried about? It wasn't like it is now, right? Shaving. I was preoccupied with figuring out how to get rid of the hair on my bikini area. That's what I was worried about. I was going to a pool party that Naomi Driscoll was having at the Y. And I swear, from the time I hit puberty at like 13, every single time I looked, there was a new damn hair poking out from the side of my panties. <laughs> I was so paranoid that I'd walk around that pool in my bathing suit thinking I looked cute. And there'd be a dang on bush waving hi to everybody. <laughs> damn. That feel like a long time ago, doesn't it? Can you imagine being that age now? Ugh, these kids got it rough. Worried about being killed by police instead of regular teenage shit. What about you? What was Drew worried about at 16? Man. I just wanted to hoop and not to fail Trig. <laughs> Why did we need Trig anyway? Have you ever used that mess? Never! And they make it seem real important when you're 16. <laughs> By Sander. Sixteen. We only have a few hours. I should practice. Drew, I know you don't want to be on stage. I know, but you put your whole self into writing this speech. Maybe, I mean, I'm just, maybe. Maybe just think about being the one giving it.
Gina. Uh, I'm sharing my screen. Are you seeing a chart? You should be seeing a chart. I see the chart. Gina. Right. Um, okay, so I'm not doing numbers on TikTok. Okay, not my platform. But on Twitter, I am still killing it with my engagement numbers. 200 new followers yesterday. And IG. Um, okay, see the... Hold on. Uh, let me share this other graph. Gina, you're muted. I muted you at TikTok. I need you to stop talking and listen. Can you do that? Wow. Uh, yeah. You're still muted. So I'll take that as a yes. Your new followers of those 280% are bots or Russian trolls who think you still have something relevant to say. Miss, no, you didn't. Still muted. But I know you just called me a bitch. Our numbers are down because without fail, 20% of any day's new followers also come on board because of your reputation. But then they see your actual content and unfollow or just don't engage. Do you know why that is? You're unmuted. First of all, Constance, you said our numbers, our numbers are down, but let's not get it twisted. This is me. This is all me. It, 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 it was you. Gina, 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 activism, political savvy. The internet was just a tool, a means to an end. That is what excited Corbin and Thomas about you. That's why we offered you the book deal. It was you, Gina, not the number on your Twitter followers. That's bullshit. Okay, okay, it's part of it, sure, for marketing. We'd be dumb to ignore it, but... We were much more interested in what you had to say about and to your community. We wanted to be a strong ally to get the message out to as many people as possible. But the message um, changed. The witty banter you're doing on the podcast honestly feels like a different brand. It's been a bit rough adjusting to, I don't know, a worldwide pandemic and a coup and the seas rising because we're literally in the middle of a biblical apocalypse, like inside of an actual, it's crazy. This is crazy that I'm being asked to explain myself. Gina, Gina, that's not, that's not what I'm- No, it is. not asking that. Sorry, if I needed to keep it light once in a while for my own sanity. Sorry if I didn't, couldn't, sit up here and steep myself and my listeners in black trauma that they live with every single day in order to satisfy your desire for allyship. Was I muted that whole time or? Nope. No, I hurt you. I hear you. Good, thank you. Of course. We can continue to discuss our concerns about the book deal another time. Will you be at the march tonight? Will you? Actually, yes. Perhaps I'll see you there. Shit. Jackson, but I don't matter tonight. Sister, can you hold that poster so everyone can see it? Thank you, sister. This is by Sandra Davis. Look at that baby's face. 
They'll try to tell us he's a man, won't they? They'll try to paint him as, we know. I don't even have to say it, we know. We know what they'll do even better than they know themselves because we've had to know them, study them, their so-called history. Their history, isn't that a trip? We know it's our history too, but they refuse to even learn or teach it. But we know it. We hold on to it. And we hold on to our knowledge of them. And we hold on to our knowledge of self. And we hold on to that baby boy. We hold, we on, hold to that on, woman. on to that woman. And, and that, that man, man. And that trans woman. And that trans man. We hold on to our own. We hold each other up. We hold on to what we know to be true. We hold up that truth. We stand. We stand on the soil of this nation, our nation. We demand that it is a better nation because it is our right. They want to restrict voting rights? We will pick up our people, our poor, our elders, and we will bring them to the polls in droves to vote them out of office. They want to rewrite history to protect the fallacy of their so-called war heroes. We will topple their statues and mock their very monuments. They want to empower their officers to kill without impunity. We will hold them accountable. How? We will march. We will march. We will hold up our son, Vysander Davis. We will hold him up. And we will march. Black lives! Black lives! Black lives! Black trans lives! Black women's lives! Black men's lives! bother you for a glass of water, Gina? Sure. I'm sorry. I should have... I'm sorry. Just a sec. Uh, Drew, do you want ice? Do you... <sighs> she probably wants ice. She's in there sweating. <laughs> I put ice in it. I hope that's okay. 
One, it's great. And two, I didn't hear you because I had the door to the booth closed and you cannot hear anything outside of this door. I promise. You said that last time. <sighs> Try it out. See for yourself. Okay. Can you hear me? I can't hear you, but that is not the problem. See? I'm oh, screaming. God. She's yelling, isn't she? I can't hear. Thumbs up. Two big thumbs up. You're great. Good job. What did I tell you? <laughs> yeah, no, I get what you're saying, but the issue is the noise that's coming from outside. Like, outside. Right, but if you can't hear me yelling in your living room, like, right outside the I was standing right outside the booth. I, I know. You're not quite understanding what I'm saying. I, I'm. Oh, oh, okay, this is okay. difficult. Well, let's test it. Let. There's seriously not any street traffic right now, but if you want to... I'm not ready to yeah. do that just yet. No, don't! I can't! Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Gina, what's happening? I, yeah, yo, I, I don't understand what's... Can you talk? Do you... You want to get up? Can you get up? Can you get up? Can you stand up? What? I tried. I what, tried. What, what did I do? I don't... You should Here, take a sip. Take a sip. I'm okay. It's past. Good. Glad I could help. Help? You did this. Look, I don't know what you got going on. I could call somebody for you, maybe, but I don't, I don't think I feel real comfortable being here. You opened the door when I told you not to. Why are you trying to blame me for this? You were the one who did the shoddy work. Twice now. Yo, I got the materials that should have cost you five times what I'm charging you. I felt real bad about yesterday, and you looked like you were in a bad way. And yeah, I thought maybe there was a slim chance that I didn't do it right. But I know it wasn't me. I don't do shoddy work. There's no way any noise is getting through that soundproofing and into the booth. Nothing. And I <laughs> I was standing right at the door. Whatever noise you're hearing, ma'am, is in your head. Oh, you calling me... <laughs> This bitch gonna come up in my house and tell me I'm imagining things. I guess that's easier than doing your job correctly. You know what? Forget Yelp. I'm calling your boss. And I'm calling you out on Twitter. Baby, I've got so many followers, you'll be lucky if you can get a job at McDonald's. Get the hell out. Damn. Yep. I was at the march last night. I Don't care. Mm. When's the last time you lifted someone else up? Bye. Or been lifted. If you don't get out of my house. Mm hmm. Sure. Stay inside your stupid soundproof booth. Hope you rotten there. Ain't that something? I'm cussing her ass out and she can't even hear me. Gonna get me fired.
Bet. Might as well make it worth it. And don't you ever think about coming back here. Damn it. She knows where I live. Knows exactly where I... Why the... Why the hell did I make a scene? I could have just called her boss and done all the things I said I was going to do without telling her that I was going to do them. That was stupid. (sighs) Give yourself grace. I made a mistake. Wasn't as bad as her mistake, because she doesn't know who she is messing with. But I also don't know who she is. So, yeah, that was that was a mistake. Like maybe maybe wait a month or so before I call her boss so she doesn't know it was me. Grace, girl. Grace. I need a glass of wine. What the hell? (gasps) Oh, it's on, bitch. A Hit Dog Will Holler from Radiotopia was written by me, Inda Craig Galvan. It was produced and directed by Giselle Regatel. Mixing and sound design by Sandra Lopez Monsalve with help from Isabel Hibbert. The music theme is by Christina Gallard. This podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. It features Cynthia K. McWilliams as Gina and Ronnie, J. Nicole Brooks as Drew, Jacqueline Guillen as Constance and the receptionist. Thank you to WNYC News for the audio of Black Lives Matter protests. Support for this project was provided in part by a PSC CUNY Award jointly funded by the Professional Staff Congress and the City University of New York. For Radiotopia Presents, Mark Pagan is the producer. Production support from Yuri Lasordo. Audrey Martovich and Julie Shapiro are the executive producers. Big love. And thanks to Inda Craig Galvan and Radiotopia Presents for sharing this story with us. And I was lucky enough to sit down and chat with Inda after hearing this story for the first time. Inda Craig Galvan, the creator of the piece you just heard, welcome to Snap Judgment. Let me ask you, why of all the things that you could do as an artist, did you decide, you know what, I'm going to do an audio drama right now? <laughs> uh, thank you, Glenn. Um, I wanted to, this was initially a play inspired by a poem. With a play, you only get so many people seeing it. And I wanted this story to reach more people. And it's such a contained situation and it 
resonates with where we are now, where we have been for the past year and a half, two years. And it just felt like the right time and the right story to tell and the right medium to tell it in. So when you think of the of the core, we just heard the first part. And I wonder when you think about where we are right now, what was this what was the gestalt you were trying to capture? What is the what is the you are I'll just say you are a black woman. Mm-hmm. What was it that you wanted to let people see from your perspective? The biggest thing for me is that we as black women are not a monolith. So having these two very different black women who are fighting for the same thing, but using very different means um, that we're affected by Things were not always strong and, and superhero-ish the way we're often portrayed. Um, that sometimes we that we have flaws. Our characters can be messed up and complicated and layered. Those were primarily what I was focusing on in looking at Gina and Drew. Do you see the portrayal of Black women in contemporary media as being one note? Often, when they're not written by black people, we see we see superwomen, we see uh, asexual women who are very, very good at their jobs. We see women who are solely there to support the male character storyline. Um, of course, there are more layered and interesting characters out there. Um, but yeah, there's a lot that's that's one note and there's a lot that's not really representative of who we are in the real world. We just heard a clash between two black women. And I, I'm just, I was trying to think about it. I don't know. When the last time in a theatrical or narrative setting, um, besides like a comedy potentially, that I've got to hear two black women who are not playing a foil to maybe a male character just go at each other. Um, And that's strange. I I thought how strange. Why is it that I'm hearing this sort of thing for the, I'm not going to say the first time, but I certainly don't remember. I can't recall. I literally can't recall the last time I've heard that. Why is that such an odd thing to have? What is going on? It's odd because, I mean, you see it all the time with white male characters or, or white female characters, but you look at who's creating the work, you know, if if we're given more opportunities or we make more opportunities to tell our own stories, you would see the the varying degrees of of characters. You'd see all the layers. You'd see 
the conflicts that we have just like anyone else has. Was this a story for Black people? Absolutely. I don't explain in my work, whether it's playwriting or, or, or this or, or television, I'm not writing a story that needs an explanation or requires an explanation for a white audience. I write for, I write my stories, I write our stories for, for us. And if absolutely anybody can listen, read, watch, get into it, but it's not going to be an explainer. It's not going to be an intro or a look into our world. It's just our world from inside of it. So when the gatekeepers to people hearing any type of theatrical narrative work might not be familiar with the world, why did you make the choice to say, ah, either keep up or listen to something else? I've been, as an audience member of my whole life, a consumer of, of drama and narratives, I've figured out how to keep up. I've figured out how to understand what happens on Wall Street or a Texas town or a, like or space, outer space. Like it's fiction. You know? It's it's if a story's told well from and grounded in character and grounded in their conflict in their journey, you can keep up. It's fine. And are you saying that <laughs> Americans have the ability to understand their own America without interpretation? Are you saying this? Are you, are you saying the English speakers themselves have the ability to actually understand if they just lean forward a little bit? Is that what you're implying? It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. Where do you come from? Where, does your wor- where, do you, where do the worlds that you create come from? Well, I I grew up uh, on the south side of Chicago, surrounded by black folks. Um, I think I had one bl- one white classmate in first grade, and then he left. So my first play was was Raisin in the Sun. That's the first thing I saw, and I assumed all theater was written by black women, and it was about the south side of Chicago. So that's where my ideas of storytelling stem from. Um, I studied sketch comedy in Chicago. I performed it, wrote it, acted, acted in a lot of commercials. I'm a mom, a wife. Um, So all of those things contribute to how I tell stories and the lens I tell it through. And my mother uh, dealt with some mental health issues. So a lot of my stories are about black women. Uh, I think everything I've written has centered on a, a black woman. And usually from a slightly skewed perspective so that we see the world the way that woman sees it. So for Gina, we're inside of her experience of the world. We're hearing what she's hearing, even though it might not really be there. Mental health issues in the black community. For, I I won't say some, for all manner of reasons, have been um, uh, sublimated. Something that we have not 
as a community or as a even a larger nation really um, addressed. It's in the backdrop, it seems like, of a lot of your work. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm wondering, because we've ignored it for so long, um, it seems when I hear it, when I see it and I, um, in a narrative piece, I've, it's one of those things that's like, why haven't we been talking about this? I, it certainly affected my family. It's affected every person I know. Um, and that, you know, our, our stories are supposed to be a reflection of our real life. And I'm wondering why you think that it's so rare that this issue has been brought to, that, that, that makes its presence in, in, in modern storytelling. That's a, that's a great observation and question, Glenn. I think when, with my mother, it was undiagnosed until she was in her 60s. I think if something doesn't get talked about in real life, if something you're not encouraged to get a diagnosis, you're not encouraged in real life to seek help. If you're told, oh, it's just, you know, just deal with it. You're being lazy. You're being weak. You're, oh, that's just your mom. That's just how she is. We sweep this stuff under the rug in real life and we don't deal with it nearly enough. And we're made to believe that we're weak or we're problematic or we're asking for too much if we do seek that sort of help. We're expected to just keep working, just keep pushing and just be better and rise above because there are so many things on the outside that's that are so many things that are horrible there's so much oppression. There is so much real, actual oppression happening to Black people in this country, and has been for centuries, that we reduce that problem as something that we compartmentalize it and we don't have time to deal with it. So if we're not dealing with it in real life, when we're creating fictional works, we're not exploring it there either, because it's something we're just so used to suppressing and sweeping under the rug because there's more important fights out there. Do you think that stories have to have a point? Your stories. I think they have to have a, a point of view. I think they have to have um, a reason. I need a reason to keep pushing because no story is going to come out of me in, in an hour or a day. I need a, a reason to tell it. I need to feel passionate about it and I need to, I don't want to write something that feels like, oh, here's the point of this. Here's the issue that we need to discuss because that inevitably for me feels forced and, and not quite as interesting as here's this thing that's making me really mad and I need to say it or I need to express it in a way that that lets the world know that something is something's wrong or something's really beautiful. Is there a particular fire that connects your storytelling? I think me dealing with my childhood is almost always something that's present. Me dealing with my fear that I keep pushing down talking about sweeping stuff under the rug that I'm going to be like my mother. Um, I spent a lot of time 
in a lot of other careers. And now I feel like there's, I'm under, I'm under the gun, the clock's ticking and I need to get all these stories out of me, um, before I disappear. So yeah, that's, that's probably my fire. Wow. That's heavy. I try not to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What kind of stories do you tell your kids? Mm. Well, my kids are grown now, so they're tired of my stories. Um, Now it's just me complaining about work. Um, (laughs) But we... I used to make up stories about a teeny tiny little prince on a teeny tiny little horse. And... He ran a teeny tiny little kingdom. That was my my story to my son. That was really about, it would expound on the princes, this tiny prince. It was really about someone realizing they can do more than they realize they could or that they were expected to do. Um, with my daughter, we just, we just read a lot of Harry Potter before, in the, in the before time. In the before time. Um, yeah, when it was still a good thing. <laughs> let me ask you about that. A diet of narrative, I think, is important for any kid, especially for any person. You just, your story is about people who are not, I'll just even say broken to some extent, that are not, you know, everyone's broken. Mm-hmm. What do you do with a story that you've loved if you discover the author, (laughs) the creator is, I won't say broken, but maybe has a different point of view that you don't share. What do you do with that story? Yeah. um, If, if, if I knew ahead of time, I probably just wouldn't engage. But it's you, you never have that knowledge ahead of time. It seems like you find out after the fact, after you after you've spent money and, and indoctrinated your children on it. And um, like, I'm not going to go back and watch Chinatown again. I'm not going to I'm not going to. Um, what up? I mean, Roman Polanski. I, well, I, um, I understand who he is, but I, um, I'm saying. I, but why not engage with it anymore? Yeah. Well, it, it's it, will it still not be a uh, a seminal American film? What how how where's where do we as artists I guess draw the line for other artists? Yeah, I, I'm asking this because I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do I? Yeah, there's so many people. I don't want to do a list, but yeah. how do I still engage with certain works? Um, I feel like there's always been such a, a, a clutching to what we consider the canon. And someone said, I have read this somewhere, that those works aren't necessarily great. They're works by white men that other white men told us were great. So we, there, there's so many other works that we can let things go. I don't have to watch, I don't have to read those books again. I don't have to I still have the memories. I still have the fond memories of going to Borders Bookstore at midnight with my daughter when she was a kid to get that first edition of that new 
volume. I still have the memory of it, but it's a, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go buy another one. I'm not going to keep reread it. I'm not going to engage with it again because there are so many other works that I could be spending my time on and my money. And it's a reminder that people are, people are, like you said, broken. People are flawed. People are messed up. Just like I'm not going to seek out exes who I know are problematic. I'm not going to, I'm not going to seek out any future work by someone that I know is, or seek to revisit work by somebody that I know is not a great individual. (laughs) I always wonder where our blind spots as artists are today. Where do you see them? Yeah, people, I mean, when someone, you've got to consider that when people are saying you're hurting me and you don't listen to that, that's that's such a problem. And I think that even now, like, hearing people in in where I work in television saying things like, oh, does it really matter if we cast a person of that ethnicity? Uh, you know, as long as they're the best person for the job. Or does it really have to, we really have to cast a person with a disability? You know, like it's, it's, those people are telling you it hurts them, has hurt them for years that you dismiss them. Like you've got to, you've got to pay attention. And I think if somebody, if I do something horrific, like absolutely horrific, that's hurting other people, I want someone to say, hey, to call me to the carpet. Like, let me pull your coat on this. You, you, you're really hurting folks and maybe don't, maybe don't. And we need to not be so, or at least I, I'll speak for myself, not be so adamant about the story I want to tell the way I want to tell it when it might be causing pain to someone else. Like, I don't know if that answers your question about what our blind spots are, but that's just something that I have to keep reminding myself. Like, listen to the, listen when people are saying they need you to do a thing because they're looking to you to do it. Some Someone's asking you because you're in that position to maybe consider these folks. This is, um, if not a completely new world, a new, new-ish world. Radio drama has been around for a long time. But um, serialized, complex pieces, episodic. Yeah. This is still the first inning of this type of storytelling. Why did you jump in? I I just love telling stories any way I can, whether it's theater or or television or film. Um, I think it's such a challenge and a stretch to be able to go from one one way of storytelling to another, and this particularly is such a huge and fun challenge for me to think about a story without the spectacle and without the editing of of the visual editing and and without anything else to fall back on except the story. And of course there's there's sound effects, there's music underscoring, but you really have to just listen to these voices and listen to these these two women 
telling their story and, and living in their story. Not so much telling it, but living in it. And you can close your eyes and, and just put the headphones on. And that's such a refreshing and, and different way of of engaging with work. And I, I found it really exciting. You have engaged with work previously where you expect people to sit down and watch mm-hmm. the story unfold. What's different when you say, now, I want you to put on your headphones? There's a different kind of intimacy. Um, you're not inundated. My husband keeps the subtitles on when we watch something on our television and it kills me. Because there's just so many things. There's the sounds, there's the sights, and then there's word scrolling, and it's, and then there's whatever's happening in the room. There's just it. It becomes an a bit of an overload, and you have so much input that for me, it, you end up having <laughs> getting less in to you because there's so much coming at you. Whereas with this, it's just you, and you can you can literally just close your eyes and shut out everything else. There's no dog doing something like there's nothing. There's no distractions in the room. There's no dog. There's no mailman. There's no laundry piling up. There's just you can literally just close your eyes and be in Gina's living room or be in that booth with her. And that's it's it's such a different feeling to me when I'm listening to to fictional audio. It's. It's somehow more connected, more intimate to me. Right on. Well, Inda, Craig, Galvan, thank you very, very much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. That was Inda, Craig, Galvan. We're going to find out what happens next in the story. Listen to the rest of the series, A Hit Dog Will Holla, at Radiotopia Presents.fm or on any podcast platform.